Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Jose Linares. You can find him on Instagram at Claims to Fire. He's got a great story. He's got a great Instagram. He was a former insurance adjuster and then a commercial restoration specialist who found his way into multifamily. He has been part of some outstanding masterminds with some very high-level people. Lives in California, investor remotely in multifamily. Uh, did it while he was still working another job. Had a baby, had a wife. Uh, going through just building his portfolio and shares some really great things that he's done right, some really things that he's done wrong, some bumps and bruises that you guys can learn from while building up your multifamily portfolio, and hugely talks about analysis paralysis, looking for unicorn deals and ways to have a realistic expectation of growing up your portfolio, growing up your assets, growing up your cash flow in a realistic way over 12, 24, 36 months. We do talk about Brandon Turner. We talk about David Green and Bigger Pockets going into masterminds in Maui. We talk about getting the support of your family, working with partners that will compare and contrast your personality, how to control the emotional roller coaster of deals that fall through, how to find your first deal, what might be something too much for your risk tolerance, what's a good first step in, how to get credibility with brokers. So he brings a ton of really great information. I found him extremely easy to talk to, super nice guy, very knowledgeable, very humble, my kind of dude. I liked him very much. I think you guys will too. He's just very relatable and just seems like the kind of guy that you would just love to sit down, have a burger and talk shop with anytime. So I appreciate Jose coming on. Thank you so much. Please see the show notes for all the ways to follow him and connect with him on all social media platforms. And as usual, this episode is brought to you by Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. And of course, Nationwide Business Capital Group. If you go to nicknicknick.com slash links, under our affiliates, you will see links for both of those as well as Reva Global. Put in promo code AGAME to get 20% off all of your CBD products for your anti-inflammation and getting rid of all those bumps and bruises. And if you want money, write to Marianne and tell her, I want money to do my real estate deals. The A-Game podcast sent me over and she will help you find out how to get the best rates and terms and the most amount of money for your real estate deals. And then of course, contact me through any of the links on that. But please, the best way to get me, text me at 516 516- 540-5733 and tell me, hey, I want to talk about either buying properties from you, selling properties to you, or finding a way to have a conversation of how do we work together or partner together, and we will start to get those conversations going to make something happen. Last and certainly not least, nicknicknick.com slash biggerpockets for a free checklist on how to bring more values to your buyer as a real estate agent, broker, or wholesaler, nickandnick.com slash biggerpockets. I hope everybody's having a great day. I'm super appreciative of everybody who's been following us, subscribing to us, interacting with us on social media, all the people that are reaching out to me about properties. I've been having some amazing conversations with some great people. Thank you so much for all the support. Thank you for listening. Please go on our Facebook group. There's a link in our, our um, uh, nickandnick.com slash links as well. And ask me any questions you want on real estate. I'm happy to give you the time to answer any of the things that you're wondering about, any of the things you have uh, going on in your life that you want. And if I can't answer it, I will get a guest on or I'll find somebody that has that answer. It's all about your network. So thank you. I hope you have a great day. And thank you for listening to the A-Game Podcast. Thank you so much for the great conversation, Jose. You're so
All right, my guest today on the Eight Game Podcast is a former hockey player, now insurance adjuster and commercial restoration specialist, turned multifamily real estate rock star. He's focusing highly on the commercial multifamily assets and has 22 doors in under four months and has been going out for a couple of years strong. He has a very exciting social media that will keep you very entertained at Claims to Fire. You can check it out in the show notes. He is a husband, a father, a former Chicago native, now enjoying the good life in sunny San Diego, California. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast, Jose Linares. Man, I appreciate that intro. I love it. I'm going to have to have you like uh, walk me into every room. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. I've been following you for a while. I love, uh, love your interviews and uh, definitely the interviews with uh, Brandon and uh, Brandon Turner and David Green were, were phenomenal. So uh, listening to your Bigger Pockets podcast, like definitely wanted to chat with you, um, learn a little bit more about your model and, uh, and bring some value to your audience as well. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for listening. Those guys make everybody look good. They're easy <laughs> to talk to. They always, you know, that they're pros. So, uh, but I've been watching you guys and I knew when we'll talk about Maui and some of the stuff you've been doing with your masterminds, but for people who aren't hundred percent familiar with your journey, can you give like a 30,000 foot view of kind of who you are and where you came from? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you, as you mentioned, I uh, grew up in Chicago, uh, moved out to Arizona uh, for school, went to Arizona state, moved back for a year and realized that I really didn't like the cold and the humidity <laughs> any longer. So found my way to San Diego um, and then just through happenstance ended up in insurance. So I was a claims adjuster for eight and a half years with uh, various insurance carriers and then got burnt out on that particular job and then moved over to the restoration side of it. And that's where I met the institutional investors, asset managers, property managers, as I was kind of building my book of business um, there really learned a little bit more a lot about the multifamily uh, value add strategy that a lot of these people were doing on like 200 unit 300 unit 500 unit properties and i would just keep asking them questions um, went down the rabbit hole found bigger pockets and no one no one's ever the same after you find bigger pockets like it, it was just a game changer and then i re reread rich dad poor dad it's, it's interesting like the first time i read it definitely didn't get the the real estate part of it for some reason i found like the entrepreneur side of it and um when i read it reread it this time uh, it just hit it just clicked for me i love that man that, it's amazing how many people that book triggers into like just the catalyst for going into investing in general and it's a different piece for everybody mm-hmm. that kind of kicks it for like i remember just my eyes being open so I, I think it was the story of him having something he wanted to buy and he was like i can buy the car but if I buy the parking lot, the payments from the parking lot will pay for the car. And then I own the car outright and I still have the car. And I was like, oh, yeah, like just the whole assets and liability stuff. I was like, man. And then just reading like you don't need money, you don't need credit. And I was like, that's me. I don't have money. I don't have credit. You know, so it's interesting to watch how that comes. But I should reread it again to see what kind of stuff sticks out now. I like that you did that. Dude, I, I think I, re, yeah, I reread it um, at least. I haven't re- reread it this year yet, but every year I reread it and gotten a new gem. Like even, I didn't even realize that like the, he talks about 1031 in that book until like last year. And I was like, oh, look at that. He little like snuck it in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, it's crazy the way your mind lets you absorb the things that you're, you need at those times. You know, there was, I remember like when I was doing like mentoring, the guy every single week would just literally say the same exact thing. And I remember I was like, hey, when I was a student, he didn't say that. They were like, he literally is a robot. It's to say, you just didn't hear. And I was like, man, it's even like jujitsu. You know, they show you an armbar the first day of class. And then like 15 years later, somebody shows it. I'm like, I never noticed that detail in it. So like, it's always oh, yeah. those things, man. I think it's interesting. That's why like, you know, we'll talk about mentorships and stuff. But when people are like, you know, hey, I, I watched a YouTube video. I got it. And I'm like, good luck. You know, like it, there's just so much all the time. It's like kind of what's exciting about stuff. So 
touching on that and all the information that's out there on YouTube and social media and books and masterminds and all these things, you can take that as there's so much information out there. I'm trying to learn something. I'm overwhelmed. I am going to have analysis paralysis because now I don't even know what to do. And I know that was a huge part of you and your journey that I struggle. Not, I don't struggle with it. I actually the opposite. I wanted to do everything. But I talk to a ton of people that just can't take any action because they're they're so scared of doing anything wrong or missing out on an opportunity by picking another one that the indecision and the non-direction just kills everything anyway. So I would love to hear a little bit about your story with analysis paralysis and how you got yourself through that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're going to have to tell me the quote again, because tell me the squirrel quote about decisions again. The road of life is filled with flattened squirrels who could not make a decision. Absolutely. I love that when I heard you mention that the first time and I'm like, yeah, man, that really, that really stuck in. And, and it, I think it was on the David Green interview that uh, you both were chatting about this. So for me, uh, I tried going the cheap route as far as like, <laughs> I, I bought the intention journal um, through Bigger Pockets, Brandon Turner's intention journal when it first came out the 90 day uh, version of it. And it came with like an accountability group that you can join and like create your own like little mastermind. And so we're, I, I was like, all right, well, hey, I don't need to like join a mastermind. Like I can just create one. Like that one lasted maybe three months. And then I tried to do it with some buddies and that, that lasted like three months. Everyone's on their own page because you, you definitely need structure to actually like keep that going, the accountability groups and everything. So um, yeah, I found myself telling everybody for two and a half years that I'm like, I'm going to buy a fourplex. I'm going to buy a fourplex. And everyone's like rolling their eyes. Like, yeah, you've been talking about this for a while. I was like, what are you going to do about it? Like, are you actually going to get it this year? And then the year would roll through and nothing happened. Um, so I decided that I needed to go to the B BPCon 2019. And I'm like, I'm just going to go solo. Because I know if I went with anybody or convinced any of my friends to go, like I would just like, the two of us would be like walking around the whole time or whatever. <laughs> so I was like, all right, because I, I, I am an introvert, but I've kind of learned to adapt to scenarios. So I kind of call myself an ambivert. Like I will force myself to be extroverted when I need to. But in reality, like I recharge like solo and just like need that time alone to recharge. But bigger pockets was I'm like, all right, let's go. Um, went there, met David Green at the at the conference. And then we chatted because we had some uh, mutual friends. And then he invited me to join the mastermind and called up uh, Kyle Ranke, his, his uh, right-hand man. And then um, the, he gave me the details on the mastermind. I was like, all right, perfect, let's go. You're like, you don't, you don't wanna think about it? I'm like, no, I just need to make the decision now. I'm joining and then I'll figure it out from here. And that was kind of, his was really a mindset uh, related. And you, you like just hearing his analogies, like, the, like everything triggers when you, when you hear in a certain perspective. So that really helped me. And then my son was born a month later and I was like, all right, not like the whole reason I wanted to get into real estate was for generational wealth and kind of create a new path for my son. And, uh, and I'm like, all right, I got to do something. So that those were the two pieces, last pieces. And like, so my why was so much stronger at that point when I was in the mastermind and then just started making offers and taking it from there. That's awesome, man. I, I love that. So there's always some sort of, like we were saying, catalyst again, that people either, I, I tell them all they either have to find something that they love so much that it's going to force them to make a change or have something that they hate so much that it's going to force them to make a change, you know, because without that, that, that kind of in between is crazy. And I think a lot of people that sat on the fence, like experienced a lot of regret for not taking more actions when COVID hit and their income kind of dropped out. And you start looking up if I would have bought Bitcoin back then, or I would have put, you know, I look right. at even like, you know, the, I, I live, I invested through the last recession. So I watched 
like things go down and things get crazy. Nobody knew what they were doing. So when the pandemic first happened, I pulled back a little bit and was like, I'm going to watch, I'm going to learn, I'm going to listen and figure out my next step. And obviously a crystal ball would have been fantastic, but it was like, <laughs> even if I bought like a shit deal in Florida two and a half years ago now, I could sell it right now. And it went up like 40%. Like it's just nuts. Right. You know what I mean? So it's that, uh, you know, you can always wait and have excuses there, but sometimes you just got to pull the trigger. And the beautiful part about real estate is that I feel it's a very forgiving asset. So even if you do buy a, you know, a deal that's not so stellar, if you can hold it long enough, it, it will make you money. Mm -hmm. no, absolutely. And that was one of the main things that I kept hearing from mentors was you're, you're going to make mistakes. That's just part of the journey. You're going to probably learn a lot more from your mistakes than your successes. And you just need to make sure that you don't repeat the mistakes and, <laughs> and don't make such drastic mistakes that it knocks you out of the game. Um, so as long as you keep pushing through, real estate is very forgiving in the long run. So that's an interesting point too. So talking about like, if you had to go through what was the analysis paralysis, what kind of stuff was in your head that was making you not make a decision? Was it you didn't know what to focus on. You were scared of making a mistake. Did you, I think a huge piece is people, which, which we're going to talk about, they don't have a reference point because they haven't looked at enough deals to even know what a good or bad deal is. Fear of success, fear of failure, fear of critics. Like there's so many different things for different people. But for you, like just looking back now after moving through, what do you think it really was that was your biggest concerns? That's a great question. The there's a few things that I think uh, contributed to my analysis paralysis. The main thing was my need for certainty. Uh, when I understood that, for, and I think it was Tony Robbins that kind of goes through the six basic human needs and the, my need for certainty, like I had um, saved up quite a bit. Like uh, I was so fearful because I was in like massive debt, like twice. I didn't learn my lesson the first time, but I got <laughs> back in it a second time. And then finally escaped it the second time, but, and then through my savings and the savings account, like once it hit that, like pretty number that I, I had in my head, it was just sitting there. It wasn't doing anything, but it was my need for certainty. Like I needed to feel secure with that much savings, but it wasn't doing anything for me. I was still trading my time for money. So then um, I, it was, again, like I, I contributed a lot of the mindset to David Green and the mastermind to make that shift where... I'm like, it, I'm not, even if I put it in an asset, like it's not, I'm not losing anything by putting it in the asset. If anything, it's appreciating. I'm forcing appreciation through the renovations and I'm growing my wealth that way. Um, so if once I treated it like a, my real estate, like a piggy bank, like that's my, my savings account is just going in there and it's growing substantially faster than the 0.001% that I'm getting from the bank. <laughs> it's crazy, man. I, I uh, I think a good thing you did also was when you looked at it, you bought a seven unit. I know the, the first deal I bought was a 36 unit. And I remember there was another guy at like the same place just starting out his journey. And he bought like, a, I think it was a six unit or five, something like that. You know, I remember talking to him and he, I was like, hey, well, what was it that made? And he was like, well, I was scared, but that seemed like it was an attainable step for me. You know, I, I was uh, like 40, 50, like ah, freaked me out a little bit. He's like, but I figured, yeah, I'll start with a five. I'll start with a six see how that goes, sell that. He's like, but then I, I sold that, bought a 17, sold that. Now I'm buying like a 70. So it scales up quick. But I, I think that, um, you know, in my journey, looking at the single family homes, if I had never found deals that you could invest in at like 30, 40, 50 grand, mm -hmm. I don't know if I ever would have bought one, but that was for me. Now I realize it doesn't matter if it's $10 or $10 million. If it's a deal, somebody will lend on it, somebody will buy it. But then that was my risk tolerance of like, I feel comfortable enough that if I make a mistake, 
on this. It's not going to be like an earth shattering, unfixable for my entire life mistake. So was that some of your thought process going into how big a deal you wanted to start out with? It was. And, and I knew multifamily was the, the path that I wanted to go just from my conversations with all the institutional investors and those the directors of uh, construction and everything. Um, and honestly, single family scared me a lot more than <laughs> multifamily because all I saw was, okay, especially being in California, California is very tenant friendly. So all I would think of is, okay, if I bought a single family and they weren't paying and they, and I couldn't evict them for whatever laws are in whatever area that I'm investing in, like that could bury me if I had five, especially with COVID. And the crazy part is I closed on the seven unit the day that California shut down. And I was like, well, all right, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we were, we were uh, celebrating sushi, watching TV. And then uh, the news came through. I was like, well, all right, well, we're going to figure this out. We will figure it out. But that's, that's why I really liked um, multifamily was because when I bought that seven unit, three were vacant at the time, but the break even point was at four units. So I knew that as long as I can get it renovated, fully occupied, then I was going to be able to cash flow substantially um, on that particular property. Um, but as long as I had four units that were rented and at least those four out of the seven were paying that it was covering the bare minimum and I'm not out of pocket anything. So that's where like from a risk tolerance perspective, multifamily made a lot more sense to me because I was still like risk averse at that point because I, I didn't have any experience. I was still renting at the time. I decided that I'm going to buy my investment properties before primary residents going back to the rich debt, poor debt. I always saw the, primary residence as a liability. So I wanted to move our investment goals forward first before I, before my thought of setting myself back with a primary residence. I think that's excellent, man. And I, I think you had mentioned in a different interview that initially you wanted a house hack and your wife really wasn't on board with that. What was the conversations like when you were trying to pull the trigger on this deal to get her on board? Because an unsupportive spouse is a major thing that a lot of people deal with. Yeah, the house hack, it just wasn't, um, she just didn't feel comfortable living next to strangers, especially if we were going to have a family and, and everything. Um, so she was more nervous about that. As far as the investments, we just kind of, we came to an agreement that the goal for 2020 was to get 21 units. That was just my number. My, my hockey number was 21. So that's why I was like 21 units nice. right there. And so I, I was like, all right, well, let's, when we hit the 21 units, I didn't think I was going to hit it in one year. So um, when we hit the 21 units, then we can buy our primary residence. I got to 22 units in four months. And then she's like, all right, so when are we going to start looking for a house? I'm like, all right, well, let's uh, start looking. <laughs> so that was kind of, I, I wanted to encompass her goals because her goals weren't really financially motivated. She wanted a house to raise a family in because we we're still renting at the time. And I wanted to continue knowing that we were moving our investment goals forward for the family. So we were both family focused, but we just had different ways of achieving what we wanted to. So we, uh, that was kind of how I was able to tie both of our goals together. That's awesome, man. I love that. Now, when you're, when you're looking at deals, what are like, how many deals did you look at and analyze before you decided to pull the trigger on that one? And then what's, what are you seeing is like realistic right now for what's out there based on what you've been looking at as far as you know, cap rates, returns, LTVs, all kinds of different stuff like that. Like, what was it that you're going, okay, this is maybe initially what I was looking for, but after looking at X, Y, and Z, this is kind of a realistic deal. Because I feel like something a lot of new investors do 
is they set an unrealistic expectation with what they want in a deal and it keeps them from ever having to actually buy a deal. I would say that's very accurate on that, that uh, front. So what helped me um, kind of get to that like first deal and analyzing everything was um, because I was so stuck in analysis paralysis and I'm, I'm very um, spreadsheet oriented when it came to everything. So as I would look in, a, uh, in whatever market you're looking in, like mine was in Des Moines, Iowa. So I, every time I would pull a, a list and run it, analyze the deal, I would then put it in a spreadsheet and I'm like, all right, well, this was the list price. I'm going to track it and see what it actually sells at. Cause I knew I wasn't going to, I was just analyzing. I wasn't going to actually make an offer on those at the time. Yeah. It was like, there was an hour, uh, probably a year before I, so I'd been tracking everything for about a year. So I put the list price, I'd put the data was listed. I'd have like a, a field for when it sold to fill that in when, when I came back to it. I'd have the address. I'd actually have the buyers too, because I was like, "All right, well, if they're buying in twenty uh, in twenty nineteen, uh, you know, maybe I'm just going to track this, because then by the time they're if they're trying to sell in like five years, then I know who it is. I already have the contact information, everything. So I just kept the spreadsheet, and I was tracking the cap rates and the price per unit at the same time. So I had an idea of like what was going in the market, and then when I would continue those conversations with my property manager she was saying like nothing, nothing selling for under like 50, uh, 50 per unit. And I was like, seems still, still seems kind of high. So when I saw this, uh, my seven unit, which was part of a 42 unit portfolio on LoopNet, um, that's where I was looking at the four units first. And I reached out to uh, one of my mentors, Andrew Cushman. And I was like, Hey, I'm looking at these four units. Like, what do you think about these? And gave him some scenarios. And he stopped me and was, Jose, everything you've told me is that you want to scale your portfolio, get to financial freedom through multifamily. He's like, don't even look at the four units. You said there's a five and a seven in that por portfolio. Focus on the five or the seven, whichever makes more sense. And then it's going to make it easier for the 10 unit, for the 30 unit, for the 50 unit. So I took his advice. He's been doing a lot longer than than I have. And then that's where I focused on the seven unit that had the most opportunity for me. But, and I ended up getting that one um, under contract and purchased for 30, just, just over 36 um, per door. And so I, I proved that I can find something under 50, but also I want to caution everyone because there's also reasons why things are trading below, <laughs> below the market. So you got to take the, the good with the bad. If you're trying to find like a crazy deal, like it may not be in the neighborhood that you're thinking it's in. If you don't know the market and we talked about this earlier, like you can be two blocks one way and that's not, those are two blocks too far. Like you should have uh, kept focus over here and um, it's just all learning lessons. Like you're going to make mistakes in the process. Everyone feels like, all right, I need to listen to one more podcast or read one more book before I take the next steps. I was that way. I, I read um, the book on negotiating real estate by Jay Scott, Mark Ferguson, and Carol Scott in a weekend because I was so fearful of making an offer. Wow. I'm like, all right, I got, I got, let me just read this in a weekend. And then I did though, that, that next Monday was when I started making more offers and it just got me to a company, but you have to put whatever content you're taking in and put into action. That's the biggest key. You know, I think that that's a great point. What you did there by saying, I'm going to read this by this date. That's something that I've had to learn to do, which I don't think is talked about enough is a lot of people. I, I just had a conversation with this guy and he had bought all these trainings. He had done all these things, but he never pulled the trigger on actually making money on anything, but he had all the resources. So it was mm -hmm. like, well, why? And then he was like, you know what? 
what I need to do is lock myself up in my room for like a week and like get on YouTube and get some really good mindset videos in there. And I was like, ah, no, you don't. Like what you need to do is go start like buying some stuff and like actually putting offers out on property. So people want to just keep sharpening the ax, sharpening the ax, sharpening the ax to make them feel like they're doing something, but they never actually get to it. So at a certain point, you have to put a deadline on it. And it's something my business partner helped me with when I'm like, well, I just want to do this and then I'll do that. We kind of like, okay, well, how long is that going to take? Well, it's, it's this book. Okay, how many pay? Three days? Okay, I'm going to give you 13 days, you know? But so on day 15, we're doing this, right? And I'm like, okay. So I think like setting something for, if you want to make this the thing while you're not doing X, Y, and Z today, that's cool. But now let's put a, you know, a future date on this is the action day. So you don't keep, well, now this and now this and now this. And I think that's where people get lost. And then, oh, well, now there's something going on with Russia. Now gas prices are up. Well, now I can't possibly do anything. So it's never going to feel like the perfect time. I think that's really the, the lesson there is you just got to kind of do something. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com. Go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure. Or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. Yeah, the the date um to make that like decision or to actually like have like an end goal but sh shorten that as much as possible that's that's been crucial for me to actually do it because it i mean if you give yourself six months it's going to take you six months if you give yourself a week it, it can be done in a week or well, whatever the goal i mean if you're trying to buy 50 unit in a week that's probably not uh <laughs> Uh, actionable like timeline or a realistic timeline but if you're saying all right well i'm gonna make five offers or i'm gonna analyze five deals this week and i'm gonna make one offer that's actionable like you gave yourself a timeline you you can hit that but the more people you're accountable to that also will help you because if you're just telling that to yourself then you're always going to make an excuse on why like you didn't hit that goal um it's easier it's weird because it's easier for us to lie to ourselves than to other people it's an amazing point man i think a lot of people don't realize that that they are fooling themselves when they think they're fooling everybody else. And that's really what's going to hurt you at the end of the day. Yeah. So talking about that first deal, you know, you started calling brokers. It sounds like you went through LoopNet. For people starting out, they get a lot of fear and a lot of rejection when they first start reaching out to brokers, especially on the commercial side. What kind of stuff were you dealing with being that you hadn't actually bought any commercial real estate yet? Sometimes people worry about not having credibility when they're reaching out to these brokers. Oh yeah, the first couple brokers—they're gonna probably blow you off. They're—they're they're not gonna take you serious, but that's—that's that's part of of the process as well. Is that um, the broker that I ended up working with and closing on the first deal was not the first broker that I spoke to in the process. So every every broker agent that you're talking to, like the those conversations will make you better for the next conversation. So if but if you're trying to like get that grand slam on the first call you ever make to somebody, that's probably not going to work. It's probably not going to happen, but every conversation was a little bit better. And what really helped me was I'd made, I want to say four offers prior to this, my first deal. And 
Um, there was a there was a property. It was uh, an eight unit that was being shopped around. It wasn't listed with anybody, but it was it was being shopped around with a couple of different brokers because the the seller just wasn't making a decision. So I had made an offer through a different broker, and we kept going back and forth. I was the number wasn't where I was looking at, although the number actually did work. I was just in my head too much, and I should have. I could have closed yeah. on that property and I look back on it. And so it was a really good property. I, I still want that particular one, but um, my conversations with that first broker, when I saw this portfolio listed, um, this is a, a, a good tip for anybody is that on the commercial side, um, I'm sure you've seen this. There's typically going to be like a team that's working a listing. Like you're going to have the vice president, senior vice president, uh, senior associate, associate. So I, I called the person that was the associate that was like just getting started on the team that was very hungry, wanted to make a name for themselves. That was the person I called. I didn't call the vice president. I didn't really need to talk to them. They, they're too busy on that 200 unit property to really, they definitely will blow you off. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went to the associate because I knew they'd have more time. It's most likely they're the one running point on this particular listing because it was a seven unit. Um, but how I started that conversation was I knew about the eight unit that was being shopped around. So I was like, hey, uh, you know, I wanna talk to you about this uh, seven unit uh, in, this for in this portfolio that you listed, but I'm curious, did you end up getting that listing um, at, I forget the, the street name. And then he's like, yeah, I did actually get that listing. And, I was, and then I, I dropped the, the seller's name and everything. So that like immediately kind of dropped his, uh, his wall a little bit. So it made the conversation a lot easier, but I wouldn't have that information if I didn't talk to all these other brokers prior to this particular broker. I love that, man. And I, I agree. I'm always big on, I don't need somebody who's the biggest professional or the biggest name in the area. I want the hungriest person because they're the ones that are going to be willing to put the time in. And I think that that's a super smart tip that you just laid there. So anybody who didn't get that, go back and rewind it because that's a huge way to get your foot in the door. I think that that's awesome. Everybody thinks that they have to go to the head honcho, but when you're not that yet in that market, you got to, start somewhere. So you start out lower on that playing field. And I think it definitely, you get to mold them into clay. They become your person, you know? Yeah. And then you are, and then you can align your goals with their goals. Like they, they want to establish their name in the market as a, like a power broker and, but they're just getting started. So how can you align your goals? And that's how I got to the second property was because when I closed on the first property, uh, I called them up like a week prior. I'm like, Hey, how, how's everything going? Am I, am I bugging the, bugging you too much? Like, <laughs> He's like, he's like, no, 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 you're on top of it. You're very easy to reach, like very good with communication. You're making a very smooth process. And then when we close, I called him again. I was like, so are you sure I didn't bug the crap out of you this whole time? Because I just wanted to make sure it went well. He's like, Jose, that was the easiest closing I've had all year. You were always available. You, you have no idea how many people ghost at like the 11th hour and are so hard to reach. And they just get cold feet last minute. But I knew you were you wanted to close on this property, so you made it so much easier for me. And then we talked about goals, and then he asked me my goal, and my goal was 21 units. And he's like, "Well, that's great. I have uh, I actually have a 15 unit that's off market. Unless you get your feet wet on the seven unit, reach out whenever you whenever you're ready, um, and then we could chat about the 15 unit." I called him a week later. I was like, "All right, so so tell me about this 15 unit." <laughs> I love that man. That's awesome. That's a, it's a relationship business, and once you close that one everything starts to change when you have a little bit of credibility. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the other thing is um, I talked about this recently on, on a post was a lot of people are uh, under the impression, like uh, what is it? Hustle in silence and let your success uh, make the noise. Like you, 
I understand what they're saying with that particular, like, uh, but you need to network. You need to talk to more people. Um, if people don't know what your goals are or what you want to accomplish, like you won't be able to get connected to the right people that might get you there. It's in, uh, and that's why the book, like Who Not How, was another game-changing book for me when I realized that it wasn't, how am I going to do this? Like, who can help me reach that level and who can I partner with to get me to the next level? I love that, man. I think that's gold. And, you know, talking about what you want, what your goals are, talk a little bit about what your buy box is for your multifamily, you know, as far as like a strategy getting in for acquisitions versus where you're looking for stabilization versus value add, exit strategies, all those fun things. Yeah. So when I, and, and this is good for everyone that's still trying to get started is that uh, I just wanted a property. Like I, I knew like the path of progress in the area. I knew generally what I wanted, but I, at the end of the day, I, I can keep saying I'm looking for this like perfect, like perfect property, but I just needed to get in the game, learn the process through action and take my bumps and bruises. Like I, I, I wanted to get those bumps and bruises so I can improve for the next property and the next property and the next property. Um, but I learned a lot in that process because the 15 unit was something I should not have bought. <laughs> um, that was a 1916 building, um, not 60, like one six so it was a 1916 building when you get over 100 years old like even if it's 10 a uh, 10 year old property like those are gonna have like a 10 year old property is gonna have some deferred maintenance on it a hundred year old property <laughs> for sure has some deferred maintenance and some issues going on that that property had some red flags on it uh, during due diligence and i was so focused on my unit goal then i'm like nah you know i can i can work through this i can and you never want to talk yourself out of the numbers and like you because you can get too emotional on it i i got a little emotional because i wanted to hit that goal and i pushed through with it and even when i talked to my mentors and they're like i they even said that they've never bought a property that old you to probably listen to that as well <laughs> but i mean i know people who are crushing it with those old properties but most likely they're local and have a solid construction team that has handled this particular type of asset class i'm doing this from california remote and I'm relying a lot on the team that's there. So that was kind of, I didn't have a competitive advantage to someone who's local that can actually execute with a solid construction plan and everything. So I learned my lesson on that. So moving forward, like 1970s and newer is like, that's that's where I'm looking at. And then trying to stay away from boilers. Boilers, those, those can be nightmares um, as well, but where I'm actually looking for anywhere from like the 50 to like 150 unit. Uh, property. So it's a wide um, range, but that's where I want to be open to, okay, well, if this seller has a 30 unit, 50 unit, 80 unit, like, all right, well, how, how can we package this all together? Um, or is this a 120 unit property that we're talking about um, and just do it all at one shot. But in order for me to get there, going back to the who, not how, like I learned like Trying to do it all yourself as you scale your portfolio is going to hurt you in the long run because you're going to have strengths in certain areas and weaknesses in probably a lot of areas. So you got to partner with someone who's, who's strong in your weaknesses and you're strong in their weaknesses. So um, my partner, he's in Dubuque and he's he just closed on a 20 unit property. So he's up to 74 units and he's still in like that DIY phase and trying to make that next step. Um, it's 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 interesting because I actually met him at the Maui Masterclass with uh, Brandon Turner and uh, Tarl Yarber. And it's interesting because everyone at that mastermind was like 
high level, but everyone was kind of in their own head on whatever level they're at to get to the next level, which is, you know, I, I, and it's funny because going into that, I said, you know, I'm like, I told my wife, I told a couple of people, I was like, I'm probably the least qualified person to be in this room. And then I heard like three other, three other people in that class say, I'm probably the least per qualified person to be in this room. So it's, it's crazy how we all have those limiting beliefs, regardless of what level we're at, because we, we all are high achievers and want to achieve something more in our lives and help others. But we're, we're kind of stuck in some limiting beliefs, like throughout the entire process. It's a huge thing. And it's something that new investors never want to hear. I don't need the mindset. Like, how do I make money? It's like, if you don't have that, you're not going to make money. And it's a constant struggle I have. And it's funny because even, you know, the investors that I've had in my circle starting out. And then the, when I was mentoring as much as people were like, I don't want that. I just want the tactical stuff. How do I take these properties down? How do I establish my numbers? Just give me the spreadsheet. Whenever you wind up on a coaching call with them, they're never talking about the real estate. It's all the emotional stuff that's going on. And I'm like, I thought you didn't get that. The stuff doesn't matter, right? No, okay, yeah. Now it's important. So at some point it becomes relevant, but you know that, that class I think is amazing because even I was looking at, at trying to apply to go and then you see the people that showed up there and you do think like, well, like what am I going to bring to the table there? There's like Heather Blankenship and all these big players in there. And uh, you know, everybody I think left there with something that they can contribute and something that they can take away. And that's what makes really a, a good group over there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're bringing back because I think they want to do a fourth one. So definitely um, get on that that wait list whenever they announce that because yeah, you you definitely qualify for sure. To, to get awesome, man. Oh. Yeah, I wrote to him a few times about like early this year, what was going on? And he was like, oh, I'll have one. I'm just not sure one yet. But I am never opposed to going to Maui. It's always yeah. going to be so. Yeah. My luck, he'll be like, oh, the next one's in Jersey. <laughs> All right. yes. I don't yeah, go and, there. and it's funny, though, because I even uh, I in order for me to go, I also had a tie because I you got to make sure that the partner, your spouse partner is on, on the same page with you. It was it's a little pricey to do that particular um, excursion mastermind trip. And so I was trying to like get her to come out with me, like maybe go a week before. But um, she didn't want to travel with our, our son. Our son's still um, not quite travel ready at that point. And so I was like, all right, well, how about um, you take the same amount of money that I spent on this mastermind and that furniture, that patio furniture that I've been saying no to, like, <laughs> go ahead. Let's say. <laughs> I like that. That's the negotiations, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But no, just like you said, um, like I met uh, Heather at the, at BPCon uh, 21, um, phenomenal person, love her story, everything that she's accomplished. And, but yeah, just like you said, everyone has different stages that they're at and they still have those massive goals that they want to hit. You know, I was going to go into this a little bit later, but while we're talking about masterminds and education and mentorship and all that kind of stuff, you know, I have spent easily a couple of hundred thousand dollars on different masterminds. Some of them have been great. Some of them have been not great. Some of them worked out well for me because I put my time into them and other ones I missed the opportunity because I didn't give it the focus that I needed. But, you know, I... I I talk to people often that don't want to invest in themselves starting out. And I tell them like, hey, if... if cutting a check for mentorship or coaching or make sure you don't get some safety nets and some shortcuts is something that you don't want to do. You probably shouldn't go into business in general because all the most successful people I know, like if this is your first check, it is not going to be your last. Like this is a growth over years and years. And like, even the one guy, he was like, well, you know, maybe if I, I shouldn't do real estate without a mentor, I'll go into this other business. And he was like talking about like trucking or like marijuana licenses. And then I was like, well, Nick Perry, was on my thing saying like, I went into this business and then it was like a three-day class and then a master, like every single business that there is to make money, 
has like people that are doing better that can teach you how to do things faster, stronger, and safer. So I feel like on any other thing, whether you're a surgeon, a physical therapist, an athlete, a doctor, like a lawyer, you're getting continuing education. But for some reason in business, people go, well, no, 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 three days, that's all. And I want to learn everything and then just go make a million dollars. It doesn't work in any other business in life. So why would this be the thing? Like, but I don't know what it is mentally. So was there a shift for you to have you understand that because nobody's happy at first about going, you know, I got to cut a check to hear somebody get my mind better. It never sounds like it has value, but once you do it and you see what it gets for you, obviously that changes. So what were your initial thoughts for investing in yourself and mentorship and masterminds? Um, for me, the beginning of it, I knew that the, the content, and it's funny because I would, I, it's still a limiting belief, but I say that I'm a super slow reader. So it, it I'll use, so what I did to overcome that was I would buy the physical book and then I buy the audible book and then I follow and then I put the audible in at two times speed because my regression when I was reading, like I'd get like three pages done. And I'm like, what the hell did I just read? <laughs> so that, that helped me because then I was like, everything was drowned out. I had to focus on it because it was two times speed. So it was going fast as hell. So I had to just like follow along with the, the physical book, but that helped me get through the books, but it was only taking me so far and I still wasn't really putting it into action. And so <clears throat> honestly, like the, the month, most masterminds you'll pay monthly. Like you're not always like going to pay like all like 10 grand, 20 grand up front. Some of them you do, like you have to pay to pay to play and get into some of those rooms. But some of the other masterminds, like, a, like David's was a monthly mastermind. It was, I mean, the, the cost when you add it all together, like that, don't think of that, like total cost, <laughs> break it down to the monthly. And then like, how can you make that additional whatever that mastermind is up in, can you sell something on eBay? Can you work overtime shift? Like you, you can find a way to make that money when you want it, want it enough to actually take action on it. That's huge, man. So now with your, your current deals, do you have a preference for, you know, I, I only want things and you said like for the unit to make it a break even. So when you buy it, even though it needs some stabilization and some value add, you're not necessarily cutting huge checks for empty buildings right off the bat so maybe there's a little bit of a safer step in there so what are some things that maybe you don't want when you're buying them and then are you holding them for long-term cash flow or are you looking to stabilize refinance or sell so those are that's a great question so as far as the what i don't want like i'm not um for this next larger property that we're looking trying to get under contract we're not trying to find anything with massive I mean, we want to stay away from structural issues. Like I've, I've had my, my little, little scare on the structural side of it with that 15 unit, you know, sold it right before Christmas. And that was a Christmas present to myself that I got rid of that property. So, um, and it was funny because I even was talking to, so Terrence Doyle, I bought both of those properties for, from before I knew who Terrence was. And then after, you know, I just see the names on the, on the purchase and sale agreement and the, all the documents. And then I looked him up afterwards. And I was like, oh, all right, he's doing some big things in Denver, and then he's still um, buying up in uh, Iowa. And then we ended up in the same mastermind in July of 2020 and just built a relationship with him. But through that process, like I followed up with him on that 15 unit, and I was like, hey, you know, you know my goals, you know this property because I bought it from you. What would you do if you were in my shoes? Because um, some CapEx, large CapEx items are coming up. He's like, Jose, sell, sell the property. Like you're going to, like, you're going to be dealing with the city. Cause it was two large exterior stairwells. 
bed needed to be replaced. And that's going into the masonry. You know, once you open up that building envelope, like you, you, you could be opening up a can of worms, especially if you're not comfortable and don't know the, the inspectors and the, you know, city permitting process. So I was still getting started. I, I was not ready to open that can of worms. So I was happy to sell it to someone who had a stronger construction team. So on the next property, we're trying to stay obviously away from the uh, construction part of it. But the reason I even bring it up is because I, I talked to Terrence about a deal that we were looking at. He's like, Jose, if that 15 unit gave you, uh, gave you a little scare on the construction side, that property that you're looking at, that will give you nightmares. <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is why I appreciate and value our friendship and the relationship that we have. <laughs> well, it's like you said, everything's a deal to somebody. It's just a matter of what is it. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where everybody thinks, well, how hard could this be? It's like every one of those motivated sellers that you're trying to get deals from didn't buy those thinking they were going to have the fire sell them off. You know what I mean? It's all those things that pop up. So I think what you're, you're learning there is great. And thankfully you were able to kind of move on. But I, I agree, man, this, the stuff that I've done wrong and the stuff that I've learned from the properties that I made the mistakes on are lessons that will stick with me forever, that will save me money and time down the road. And I, I think uh, talking to my fighter buddies, one of the things they don't do enough is also look at what some of their wins are and learn from that. Everybody always, you know, you win 10 fights in a row, everything's great. Nothing I need to fix, nothing I need to learn from, but there's always something, you know? So I know you talk about some things you don't want, but what are some things that you can put a little bit of a pat on your back or a feather in your cap for like, this is something that we did really good that I now know I'm good at or whatever, you know, because again, we're going to talk next about partnerships. So what are some things that you did right on that deal that you, you know, now have in your arsenal? Uh, it, and that's where I, it was clear where my strengths and weaknesses were on that deal. Um, because like my, my strength was building the relationship to get the deal. My weakness was being like the construction side of it and not truly understanding some of the headaches that would compound if I didn't, if I moved forward with the property. So what, uh, on the partnership side of it, like I'm focused on the relationships, finding the deals um analyzing we both analyze them together so that's that's a, the other beauty of the partnership is that you have you're hopefully partnering with someone who has similar experience or even more experience than you so that you can both analyze the deal separately and then we review it together and try to break each other's numbers like we don't talk about it. like we send the deal to each other and then run the numbers separately and then review it try and break the numbers and then um try and make sure and like, why did you include this? Like, why did you put this reserve amount or how do you make this assumption? So you always want to run those larger deals as you start to scale through multiple eyes. And that's why like some of the team that we'll be working with when we get the deal under contract, like the mortgage brokers, like send me the deal, even before you send that LOI, like we'll run it through our, our numbers as well. And then I'm like, all right, perfect. Another set of eyes to break it. And then um, we'll send it to a couple other people to try and break it. So that's like the goal is to every deal that we want to make an offer on, like how many people can look at it. And if it gets through like 10 eyes, then, then it's a, it's a deal that we want to make the offer on, but it's, it's kind of that it's not analysis paralysis. Cause it's, it's different. We just want to make sure that we're being uh, conservative in the way that we run the numbers so that we can hit the returns that we're looking for. I think that that's awesome, man. And that to me is a whole other fascinating topic of deals that I think are deals. I send them out to my partners or I send them out to my lenders and then they come back and they're like, no go. And you're feeling up here because you thought it was a great deal. And now you're lower than you were before you even started. And it's like, you know, that kind of up and down of having that, 
you know, it always sucks and you always know it's for your own good, but it definitely was a learning curve for me to remember. Like I worked so hard to find this one deal and then I thought I had it and now I realize I don't, but you can go back sometimes and renegotiate and, and create a deal out of that. But what do you do in those situations uh, emotionally and actually tactically when you have something that you worked on, you feel strongly about the deal and your partners come back and they, they poke holes in it. I actually appreciate that a little bit more now when you're first getting started and trying to build that portfolio, it's hard to like take those, like, you sure? Like, really? <laughs> I, think, I think I can make this work. <clears throat> but now I'm more cautious because I, I can see the headaches that can come with a property that I, sh that you shouldn't buy. So um, I'm, it's all about constructive feedback. So I just take every conversation, every deal that doesn't work out, like, okay, well, this is why this deal didn't work out. Just like you're talking about like analyzing the wins and the losses Like you want to just make, make note of, okay, this didn't work for this particular reason. So we're going to change this a little bit in our buy box. And maybe there's an opportunity where they have a, maybe it's a 60 unit and they have um, a leasing office, but you don't really need necessarily need the leasing office for that. Maybe you could turn it back into a unit and you just added an additional unit and you raise that, you, you you raise the NOI because you just added a whole another unit, or maybe there's a different configuration that you can make to some of the properties and chop them up and maybe turn like threes into studios or one bedrooms. And then you're, you're adding more value there, or there's um, you can add the laundry. There, there's so many value add opportunities where you can create other income as well on these properties that can substantially boost the NOI from where it's at currently. But again, going back to what you said, you're typically going to be buying a headache. <laughs> like someone's headache um, can be your your golden goose, um, or that maybe they're just at the end of their cycle. Maybe they're, they're a syndicator and they're on a five to seven year hold period. You come in and you buy it at that hold period where they have you have to go in and do the renovations again because most syndicators, that's why they have that you know five, seven, 10 year hold is because at some point you have to go back and do all the capital renovations again to get it up to market because those, those units are going to be outdated. I mean, it, it just happens. So that's that's the model that I've seen for those. So if I can come in or figure out, and that's what the, even me being in analysis paralysis, but tracking all those people who are buying those properties, then I can come back to them in year three, year four, if they're on like a five-year hold period, and then just start those conversations then. But it's all relationship-driven. So you if you're in it for the long run, like there's a lot of money you can make in real estate. And we talked about this before the, the interview was like your strategy with, um, with the cell tower genius like that. <laughs> like there's so many ways to make money in this. You just have to think outside the box and, and listen to others who have done it before you. Ever wanted to play the drums or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of the free drum lesson one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan Lemayne. Dan Lemayne has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He's played all over the world and he's also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-N-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 
800-500-0585 for your free online drum lesson. Yeah, there's so many good points you just touched on. I think one of them, like you said, with the, the partner, when he shoots down your deals, you appreciate it. I think when you have relationships with people that you know are giving you that information for your best interest, not for their best interest, you listen to them a little bit different. And that's definitely something that people that are looking for partnerships, there was people that I listened to initially that looking back, I realized were there to make themselves look good rather than to actually help me. And then I have ones that no matter what, even at a detriment to them, they're going to give me the advice that maybe I'm mad that they're giving me, but they're like, look, this hurts me actually more than it hurts you. And so that's the kind of stuff when you know it's coming from, it's like the parents say, don't go play in the street. Don't go touch the hot stove. It's like, I'm not going to listen to them. And then you touch the stove. You're like, that's really hot. Okay. Like I see why they said that. So I think getting the source from people you can trust is actually an awesome thing. And again, I love the creative side of real estate is there's so many ways you can look at it and chop it up and say, okay, maybe it doesn't work like this, but if we do, you know, X, Y, and Z, I have these other things in place that I, I think are great. And you mentioned teams. So I, I definitely want to touch on teams before I let you go, because you are living in California and doing some remote investing, which I'm very comfortable with, but most people are not. So I'm interested in who is on your team and then how do you communicate with your team on a daily or weekly basis? Yeah, the the team is, especially if you're doing it remote, I mean, regardless, the team is, is going to make you or break you. But when you're doing it remote, like you just need to... I would say the biggest thing for me was at my first my first point of contact in Des Moines was the property manager. So I met her at the National Apartment Association in 2018 when it was in San Diego, and that was I was I was in the thick of my analysis paralysis. But she was nice enough to take my calls and like ask, and I could, and I hate saying this, but I could pick her brain. Um, <laughs> and so she helped me. She introduced me to the lenders and some brokers and kind of started the conversation. But if you're doing it from a distance and trying to get into multifamily, like the, the brokers want to know one that you can close, but what are you going to do with the property? Like, are you going to self-manage how, like, what are your systems? How are you going to self-manage or who's the property manager? Cause there's a 99.9% .9 chance that that broker has worked with that property manager and every other property manager in the market. So if you have a strong property manager and like that goes a long way, like, Hey, I'm using XYZ company. Oh, great. I, I, I just closed another deal with them. They're, they're managing for the last buyer that I worked with. And so, at, especially in those markets, like it, everyone that I was at, that I've been using is in the market because I want to keep just building the relationships and building the network so that I can get to the next level. But you have the property manager, you have the, the broker, you have the lender, and then the construction team. So like those are the, like David Green says, the core four. I just kind of, I, I took his uh, long distance real estate investing book as my playbook for getting over that fear. And I don't remember if it was on the Bigger Pockets podcast or which podcast it was, but um, when you're, when you think about investing long, long distance, like it does seem scary, but even if you bought a property that's like two blocks away, if that person doesn't pay and just wants to squat in the property and are you going to go out that go over and like choke them out or yeah. like, so it, if, if they don't want to pay, they don't want to pay. You just have to figure out like the best, like legal course of action to handle that. So it doesn't matter if they're 2000 miles away or like two blocks away, like it's going to be the same process if you want to do it legally to ensure that you're um, managing and scaling your portfolio. That's great info. It's funny you said that because uh, sometimes when people are going, well, you know, it's not in my backyard and I'm like, well, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I'm, a, I'm a school teacher. I'm like, okay, so you know absolutely nothing about construction, property management, like account, nothing. So what makes you th think you're going to go and do anything about that anyway? I'm like, well, what if the contractor does something crazy? I'm like, okay, ready? 
I'm your contractor. I just screwed up. Tell me I'm fired. And they're like, you're fired. Like, okay, now close your eyes. I'm your contractor. Just screwed up. Tell me you're fired. They're like, you're fired. I'm like, I'm still fired. Didn't matter that you, you know, you had your eyes closed. You had, you still got the same result. Like nothing really changed. You just felt different about it. So like, well, I'm not emotional. That's a pretty emotional thing you just did. So I just think it's always funny to tie that up. And, you know, talking about emotions, I would love to hear you uh, summarize. I heard you mention the, the six human needs that I think David Green talks about. I would love to hear what those are, if you remember them. Oh, you're going to put me on the spot on that one. <laughs> I am going to have to reference anybody to search Tony Robbins' six basic human needs because I can't uh, say those off the top of my head. It's been a while since I reviewed those again, but um, I was reviewing them pretty regularly. There was need for certainty, um, need for variety. Yeah, I don't want to butcher them. So Tony mm-hmm. Robbins, six basic human needs. Um, Google that, and then I'm sure there's some YouTube videos on there. That's awesome, man. So speaking to YouTube and social media, you are killing the social media game with the stuff you're putting out there at Claims to Fire on Instagram. Um, talk a little bit about how do people find you, how you're using social media, what our audience can do to help you or bring value to you. Yeah, I appreciate that. So yeah, uh, I'd say the best place to reach me is Instagram, Claims to Fire. And I got that from being a claims adjuster. That was the reason I even chose that name which is interesting because it doesn't really fit in what I'm moving forward with as much. But I chose that because during when COVID hit, like none of my, uh, on the W2 on the restoration side, none of the clients were meeting at the time. So I need to find a way to stand out for, uh, against my competition. So I started a real estate meetup for all the claims adjusters that were clients or prospects um, for that. And then, so that really helped me have even deeper conversations um, with them so that I can understand their goals. And that's what really I enjoyed probably the most about um, starting that page is that everyone who's reached out, I, I was shocked at the responses that I've gotten because everyone's like, you know, your content is what made me make the shift. And I just bought my first like seven unit. I just bought my first five unit, my 10 unit, like you just, and it's, it's great to hear that. I just didn't, I just didn't anticipate it. I, I was just trying to share my journey, figure out like what, what would happen from there. And it's interesting with inst- Instagram or social media in general, is that when you put it out there, you have no idea really who's paying attention to you. Because I've had people reach out to me, like ha- we've had great conversations about real estate, but the, they reached out saying, Hey, I've been watching all of your stuff. I love everything you're doing. Can we meet up? And I was like, I have I didn't even know you were following me because I didn't see like any likes, any comments or anything like that. But that's, that's phenomenal that like it, it struck a chord with you and you resonated with, with what I was doing so that you wanted to chat about it more. So I really enjoy that part of it and kind of helping everyone get over that hump and analysis paralysis. That's awesome. Isn't it crazy? Sometimes like you just never know who's watching and you know, that's why I'm always trying to, to be aware of not really getting caught up in like the metrics of all this stuff, but just having good conversations and put out good metrics because it's always a surprise where it comes from, you know, and it's always nice to hear that you had some sort of positive uh, effect on somebody else's life. So good for you, man, for doing that and putting yourself out there, because I think most people shy away from telling their story and doing the stuff that you're doing. Because it's scary sometimes to put yourself out there and open yourself up out to criticism. But when you start to see that, even if there's like a hundred haters, but you actually made a positive impact on one person's life for them and their family, like it completely washes out all the nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. And what helped, what helped you start the podcast or kind of get into that right mindset to share the story? You know, um, I still am starting to learn not to like chase down the people that say like nasty things and realize that it's the guy like in his like one bedroom apartment with the hairless cat that just like, like craps on everybody on social media and just as a hater. But 
Um, you know, I think it's definitely like a sensitivity thing, but when I went into it of the mindset of, I'm going to start to do these interviews and talk to people, and I'm going to talk to people that I want to keep in my life and touch base with and connect with. And if nothing else happens and nobody likes it and nobody listens and everybody hates it, but I had a good conversation with a friend that I got to have an uninterrupted conversation for an hour with that we like learn new things about each other. or got to touch base. We're normally, we're always made, Oh, we'll meet for lunch whenever or we'll get on a phone. And you never do. It kind of locked me into like set times that I couldn't back out of with people that I wanted to catch up with anyway. And then obviously then you start talking to people that are new, but that was it kind of initially was, you know, I'm at the gym with these guys training or I'm, I'm in and out of town for holidays. And I only get to really talk to these guys for two or three minutes in between rounds or as we're kind of waiting for the shower, sure. when do I get to really talk to this person and learn about them for an hour and really hear about them and their family and their goals and their life. And to me, that was just fascinating. So that was kind of what gave me the out of, it doesn't matter if it sucks, it's going to be something for me. And that. that made me start kind of taking the, the move forward and then regret. I'm just a huge regrets always been a, a pusher for me. So after two years of waking up every day and saying, I wish I would have started these yesterday, I got sick of telling myself that. And I went, uh, I'm just going to start today because two years is always going to be, you know, it's, there's never going to be the perfect time. So I tried to take a little bit of my own medicine there and just start doing it. I love that. That's awesome. Cool, no, you're, doing, you're doing a great job. So I appreciate it, man. I have, I have great guests and great people. So I appreciate you coming <laughs> on and being so easy to come on and share. You know, if it wasn't for people like you putting some putting themselves out there and willing to come on and tell their story and, you know, not block me on Instagram because they think I'm trying to get them to buy Forex or whatever the spam <laughs> stuff that pops in every day is, man, there would be no podcast, man. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for being supportive. Thank you to David Green and Brandon Turner, who are both obviously two people that we both look up to that have been impacts in our lives. And last but not least, is there anything before I let you go that you want to share with the audience? I would love to share the fact that regardless of where you are in your journey, you only have to be one chapter ahead to add value to someone else. So if you've been wanting to share your story or you have something under contract, like that is content that you can put out there to potentially help someone else. If you just put a property under contract, you're doing due diligence. Like take videos of, you don't have to be in the video. Like just take videos of what you're doing, what you're walking through. It'll help so many more people. And worst case scenario, you're just talking to a ring light. It's not going to judge you. So, <laughs> so just, just remember that. I love that, man. Great advice. You sir, always bring your A-game. Thank you for coming on the A-game podcast today. Always millionaires, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great day.